And we'd certainly encourage you guys, if you haven't been on the Mind website yet, to get on there. There's a lot of cool stuff, uh, resources, and all kinds of cool stuff. In fact, we're going to be putting more on the website in the weeks ahead. So um, some exciting stuff going on. And again, we're glad you guys are here. Why don't we open up with a word of prayer, and then uh, Seth and Phil's going to come out and, and lead us in worship tonight. God, we thank you so much for, Lord, just how good you are to us and how great a God you are. And Lord, tonight as we come here, we just pray that we would just be filled up with you and that, Lord, we would be refreshed and, God, that we would leave this place different than when we walked in and that, God, your Holy Spirit and your word would just grab a hold of our lives and just encourage us as only you can encourage us. God, go with us this next hour and 15 minutes we have together and make it count for eternity, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, great worship tonight. Thank you, Seth and Phil. Yes. Always, every week. And I'm just so, can't tell you how excited I am that these guys are a part of the mine every Tuesday night. All right, I've been wound up for a week to share with you what I've got tonight. So let's dive into it. Ephesians chapter 1. And tonight we're going to begin, though, uh, we're going to go back and pick up the verses we didn't look at last week. But I want to start in the last two verses of chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And I think you'll see why as we move through here. Because I want to go back and just pick up some things that I shared last week by way of introduction to the book of Ephesians. But just go a little bit deeper than I did last week. Because as I shared last week, when you study the book of Romans, the book of Romans is about a life defined by God. And what does a life defined by God look like? If we were to surrender our life to God, here's what it would look like. Book of Romans. Book of Ephesians. If a body of Christians, a local church, was to just turn the church over to God and say, God, you define our body, you define this church, what would the church look like? That's what the book of Ephesians is about. And, and you know, what is the church? And and what is my role in the church? And how do I fit into the church? We're going to talk about all those questions as we go through the study of the book of Ephesians. But I want you to notice in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, and I think this will encourage you. And God put all things under Christ's feet. And he gave him to the church as head over all things. Now the church is his body, the fullness of him. Who fills all in all. First of all, the power of God created the church. And the church is not an organization. It's not like being part of some other earthly organization. It is a living organism created by the power of God with Jesus Christ as its head. And the reason why that illustration is so important is because Jesus Christ is not our leader. Because let's face it. Uh, all organizations and groups of people could go through some kind of, you know, changes and organizational restructuring and they could get rid of their leader. But Jesus Christ is the forever head of the church. And just as it's ludicrous for a body to exist without its head, so really the church cannot exist apart from its head, Jesus Christ. And he is to be the head of the church. But I think this will encourage you. Because we, the church, are His body. And again, as we share, the church is not the building. The building is just the place where the church, you and I, meet. And we are the body of Christ. 
And notice what he says about the body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. You see, Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, has all the fullness of God within him. And what God is saying here is all of that fullness comes in and can come into the church where the church should be expressing the fullness of Jesus Christ and where each individual member should feel like they are being filled up in Christ and full. And that whatever need we have, whatever, whatever you know, thing that we're looking for, it can be fulfilled in Christ because He is the fullness of God. And we need not look to any other person or place, but the head of our church, because he's the fullness. And out of him, we can feel and experience the fullness that God has for everyone who's in vital union with him through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know tonight as you walked in here, if you feel full in God, but God wants to fill up your life. He doesn't want you to feel like you're, you're missing something or that you need to add something else to your life besides Him because He has all the fullness that's available and He wants to fill up your life so that you and I experience that spiritual and emotional fullness that comes through a growing relationship with Him. So, the book of Ephesians defines the church and talks a lot about that. But the other thing the book of Ephesians does is remind us about, the, again, the eternal realities that we have through Christ. And, and, and that it's, it's not an earthly thing that can fade away or that can be destroyed. And we talked last week about Ephesus being one of the chief cities in the ancient world. And it housed one of the seven great wonders of the world at that time, the Temple of Diana. And I shared with you last week where many historians who saw all the seven wonders of the world at that time said that the temple of Diana puts all the other wonders of the world as a shadow. That's how great the temple of Diana was. But the temple of Diana doesn't exist anymore. In fact, it hasn't existed for 1,700 years. It's a pile of rubble. And the city of Ephesus doesn't exist anymore. It is a pile of rubble. Now, there's a small town in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, that exists a few miles from where ancient Ephesus was. But it's not there anymore. And what God is saying through the Apostle Paul is you guys who live in Ephesus and you, you look at all these wonderful structures and what man can do and all these great edifices, and it's if they're going to last forever. But they're not. And those people who are investing in these temporal earthly things, it's not going to last you need to remind yourself, I need to remind myself as a Christian that I'm not part of something temporary. I'm part of something eternal. I, because I am linked with Christ inseparably, I am part of something that is indestructible. In fact, back up to chapter 1, verse 3, that's why Paul writes, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, meaning that they're tied to, to eternity. They're tied to heaven. They're not tied to here. The things of earth are going to come and go, but, but the blessings that we have through Christ are eternal and they're indestructible because Christ is indestructible. Therefore, everything that we have in Him is indestructible. In fact, even our body 
Keep your finger there in Ephesians. This is, this is cool. Especially when you're not feeling good like me, it's nice to remember we're going to get a new body one day. Go, go back to 2 Corinthians. Just go back to the left a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to leave here knowing God wants to fill you up tonight because Christ is the head of the church. In Him all the fullness of God dwells and He wants to pour out that fullness into His body so that we don't feel like we're deficient, that we need anything. And second, I want you to see tonight that you, if you are linked to Christ, who is the eternal Son of God, and nothing can destroy Him, that you are indestructible as well. And even when this earthly body has to be laid down, that is not the end. Notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house And that's just, again, another sort of metaphor for our physical body. The tent we live in. A temporary dwelling of who we really are. And if this tent we live in is dismantled, we have a building from God, a house not built by human hands that is what? Eternal. In the heavens. You see, you and I can't be destroyed. And even death that is such a, you know, a scary thing for most human beings. The Bible teaches that if we're linked to Christ and we lay this tent aside, we have another body, a body that's built for eternity, waiting for us in heaven. And it's going, and we're going to enjoy that body and we're going to enjoy heaven and enjoy God for all of eternity. You are indestructible. You cannot be destroyed. Because you and I are linked with Christ and nothing can destroy Christ. So Paul wants to encourage the Ephesians here. And he's even playing on the things that they see around them every day that might enamor them. And, you know, the wow factor, like, wow, look at that temple of Diana. I wish the building that we met in as Christians, I wish it was that cool. But Paul's saying, oh, there's much more to being connected with Christ. And not that earthly buildings that we worship in are not cool and and like this one that God provided it's great it's a great blessing from God we ought to thank him for it but that's not what it's all about it's the eternal things and then back to Ephesians 1 3 before we then jump into where we left off last week I want to say this as well when he talks in verse 3 about the fact that the church you and I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing I want that to sink into all of us tonight. And here's why. Because as I shared last week, one of the ways that the church is defined is that we begin to recognize through spiritual insight just how blessed we are and that we acknowledge how blessed we are as God's people. But even more than that, that we don't live our Christian life searching for some other blessing that's already been given to us. Because Ephesians 1.3 basically says that the moment you and I accept Christ as our Savior, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. I don't have to look for another blessing. I don't have to live my life thinking, well, I've got Christ, but now I need to add something else to it. Again, going back to that that whole idea that somehow I have Christ, but that's not enough. And sometimes that's what you hear in this world today. You know, some of those 
teachers out there and stuff, they'll say, hey, it's great that you've got Christ, but what about this? Won't this really make your life complete? And, 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 you know, if you just add this to your life, I'm not telling you to get rid of Christ, you know. I'm just telling you to add this to Christ. No, the Bible clearly teaches to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that it's Christ plus nothing. That He is absolutely sufficient to meet every need of my life. That the fullness of God dwells within Him and that fullness flows into His body, the church. That we are a blessed people with every spiritual blessing. He didn't say 95%. He says every spiritual blessing. And they're tied to the heavenly realm so they can never be taken away. They are indestructible. Nobody can touch them. Nobody can take them away from us. They can't change. They won't lose any kind of value over the millions of years that go by like things do on the earth. Every spiritual blessing. And so because of that, God wants His church to be a place where God's people acknowledge how blessed they are and where we begin, notice, to live lives that bless God. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. And we should live our lives in praise and glory and honor and blessing. Speaking well of God is what the word blessed literally means. To speak well of somebody. And my life should be lived speaking well of God. Not only to my brothers and sisters in Christ, but especially to those that don't know Christ. Because how poor of a testimony is it if I as a Christian don't think I'm very blessed? I feel like God's done me wrong. I feel like, you know, God's kept something from me. And so I'm living a life where I'm grumbling and complaining and griping and, and all of that and I'm not only doing it around my Christian brothers and sisters, but I'm doing it in front of those that I'm trying to draw to Christ. And I'm trying to get them to see that everything that you ever were looking for is in Christ. And then I live my life as if Christ isn't enough. Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? Want. And yet how many Christians go through this life as if they need something else? No, the Bible clearly teaches all I need is my good shepherd. And he'll lead me to the pastures, the still waters. He'll restore my soul. In him is everything I need. And he has blessed me with every spiritual blessing. Now, as we also shared last week, verse 3 through verse 14 is one sentence in the Greek language. Talk about a run-on sentence. And in this passage of Scripture... Paul is sectioning out, addressing and acknowledging the blessings that flow from God the Father. And that's found in verse 3 through verse 6. And then in verse 6, he begins to transition to God the Son and reminds us of all the blessings that we have through God the Son. And then in verse 13 and 14, as we close out tonight, we're going to see all the blessings we have through the Holy Spirit of God. And basically what Paul is saying too is he's saying, Christian, you realize as part of the church that the whole Trinity is involved with your life. God the Father loves and cares about you and He wants to bless your life. God the Son loves and cares about you. He wants to bless your life. And God the Holy Spirit loves and cares about you and He wants to bless your life. And I want you to leave here tonight also knowing that God truly does want to bless His people. He wants to bless us in order that we can become a blessing to others. 
And so that we're not looking to other human beings to meet a need that only God can meet in our lives anyway. And when we allow God to meet the deepest needs of our life, it can free us then to begin to be used by God to be a blessing to other people. Because we're not looking to them to meet the needs in our life that only God can meet. So then we come down to verse 7. He talked at the end of verse 6 as we left off last week about his dearly loved son. And so he's transitioning now from talking about the blessings that come through God the Father, verse 3, to God the Son. And here's what he says in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. By the way, let me also mention this. If you read verses 1 through 14, and maybe you do it tonight or sometime this week, and you just go over that passage again, count how many times he uses the word in Christ, or the phrase in Christ, or in him. He uses it all the time. Because he wants to remind us, if we are vitally linked to Christ, what flows from that, that relationship. All right. First of all, through Christ, we have redemption. What is redemption? This biblical word. Redemption consists in release from slavery by payment of a ransom. And notice in this verse, we know what the ransom was. It was Jesus' blood that, in a sense, paid the ransom and set us free from slavery to sin. And so one of the things that God wants to see as He looks down from heaven and sees what's happening in His church where Jesus Christ is the head is He wants to see people's lives being set free through the blood of Christ. And He wants to see Christians gaining victory over sin. He wants to see the power of God being able to, to overcome the sin that can so enslave us. And this is one of the great purposes of why Jesus Christ came to this earth to die on the cross. It wasn't just for the forgiveness of sins and a way to God and a way to heaven. It was a way for us to be set free. Because even though we're Christians, until we lay down this mortal body of flesh... There's going to be that pull. There's going to be the pull of the Spirit of God towards spiritual things. And there's going to be the pull of the flesh that wants to do fleshly things. And because of that pull, through Christ, and through that redemption that comes through Christ, Paul is reminding us, Christian, you don't have to be enslaved to that sin. You don't have to be enslaved to that destructive habit in your life. You don't have to give in to that discouragement and all of those things. Anxiety, you name it. Things that I, No, we can see victory because Christ has set us free. John 8, 36, Jesus said, So the Son, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I can hear this coming on. By the time I get home, I won't have a voice. My family's going, amen. No, I'm just teasing. I hope that through you being a part of this church and what God is doing through His church here at Cornerstone, that you are seeing and experiencing for yourself the power of God setting people's lives free. And you are seeing the redemption that we have in Him. 
And how sad is it when a slave has been set free and yet still wants to live in slavery? Those of you that know me know that outside of my study of the Bible, I love to study and research the Civil War. And it's so sad to read about accounts where people were set free and yet they didn't want their freedom. They actually wanted to go back under what was familiar under what was comfortable, under what they always knew, in spite of the fact that they could experience a little bit more freedom than they had before. Same thing is true for Christians. God wants His children, who are vitally linked to Christ, to experience the redemption that is in Christ. And begin to sense that power and feel that power working in our lives so that we're not slaves to the sinful flesh any longer. And then, not only redemption, but we have the forgiveness of our trespasses, which are forgiven according to the riches of His grace. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. All that God has done for us in Christ is only because of His grace and because He's gracious. And He did it because He wanted to, not because He had to. Forgiveness literally means removal of guilt. And the reason why God wants His body to experience removal of guilt is how can I truly be set free and move forward in my relationship with God if I've got this guilt weighing me down on my back? So God says part of what forgiveness should should look like in my life is where that guilt doesn't weigh me down anymore and where I allow God to get rid of that guilt and remove it through forgiveness so that I can truly be set free because I'm not set free if I've got all this guilt in my life. And I've run into so many Christians who who said, "But, but Jeff, how do I forgive myself? And I sort of turn that a little bit because I don't think it's about forgiving ourselves. I think it's more by faith accepting God's forgiveness. If God says, I forgive you for everything you've ever done in Christ because His blood was sufficient to pay for every sin that I have committed, am committing, and will commit, and it is sufficient for that, then I don't need that guilt hanging over. And that guilt is either coming from me, somebody else, or Satan, my spiritual enemy. He's the one maybe trying to make me feel guilty. That guilt's not coming from God. Because through forgiveness, He wants to remove that guilt so that we truly feel free in Christ. And God wants to look down from heaven and see a body of believers, a church, where people are having that guilt removed. And they're truly experiencing the forgiveness of God and moving on. You see, my Bible teaches me that there is no sin. There is no sin that Jesus Christ and His blood is not sufficient to wipe out. And then notice verse 8. In Christ, He's also lavished on us all wisdom and insight. You see, this verse is teaching me that God even supplies the ability to understand and accept what He's done for me. So that I can wrap my mind around it as much as a human being can wrap my mind around the things of God and what God has done for me. As much as I can understand it on this side of heaven, 
God gives me wisdom and insight so that I can understand and accept. It's one thing to understand I'm forgiven. It's another thing to accept that forgiveness. It's one thing to understand I've got all the power of God available to me to overcome sin in my life. It's another thing to accept that fact and tap into it and see it become a reality in my life. And not only does God give me the wisdom and insight to understand and accept what He's done for me, He also gives me the ability to put it into practice. Wow. Because wisdom in the New Testament is a word that literally means skillful living. You see, being wise is not being the smartest person in the world. Not the person who has the highest IQ as far as God's concerned. It's the person who understands God and His ways and His Word to the point where he can be very skillful or she can be very skillful in the way they live. To get the most out of life, to get the most out of their relationship with God, and to become all that God created them to be. That's a wise person in God's eyes. In fact, if you want to study wisdom or learn more about wisdom, I'd encourage you to go to the book of Proverbs. I mean, wisdom is talked about in almost every book of the Bible, but the book of Proverbs really talks a lot about wisdom and how important it is to the Christian life. So it's very practical. You see, again, sometimes we think wisdom's all up here in my head and figuring things out. No, it's actually knowing what God has done through His Son for me and being able to understand it and apply it to my life and put it into practice. That's wisdom. So it's very practical and it's very applicable to my everyday life. It's not something that should just sit up here as we say all the time. Our Bible study and our time in God's Word is not just for information, it's for what? Transformation. Transformation. Notice verse 9. He did this when He revealed to us the secret of His will. God doesn't want to hide His will from you. God's will is not like this hide and seek where God has His will and He hides it somewhere and then we have to like try to grope around for it and find it. If God wants us to know His will, He will reveal it to us. And in this passage, I want you to notice that the concept of secret or mystery in your translation in verse 9 is not something mysterious. It simply refers to a truth previously concealed, maybe not talked a lot about, say, in the Old Testament, but now it is made known and amplified in the New Testament. That's what the secret is. So maybe it had a little bit of seed form in the Old Testament, but now in the New Testament, God expands on it. That's what he's talking about. According to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ. Don't miss this. Verse 10. Toward the administration of the fullness of times. The phrase fullness of times is a very significant phrase. It is a phrase that was long prophesied in the Old Testament as bringing about the consummation of God's plan for the universe through one person, Jesus Christ. And that God's plan was that everything was going to take its cue From its relationship to Jesus Christ. And that's what God said. That's why sometimes some people ask me, especially, I mean, I even have some Christians ask me this, but what is it about Christ? Can't you guys get off of Christ? I mean, it's always Jesus this and Jesus that and Jesus this. And that's all you guys talk about. 
Well, guess what Paul said? Verse 10. Towards the administration of the fullness of times to head up all things in who? Christ. You see, it's been God's plan before the foundation of the world that everything would find its place in its relationship to Christ. That's why Christ, and I think it's a great name for a church, Cornerstone. Cornerstone was the block that was used to to make sure every other block in that building had its right angles and lines. Everything took its cue from the Cornerstone. Paul is saying God's plan has always been that everything head up in Christ. And he's the head of the church. And he's going to head up everything in the universe. Therefore, if I'm in Christ and I am in vital union with him, it doesn't get any better than that. Because all authority and everything has been given to Christ. And he then endows it to his people, the church. That's why the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus said to his disciples, the very last thing he said to them, all authority has been given to me. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them all things whatsoever I've observed, or you've observed in my word and in my teaching. And, oh, by the way, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be there with you every step of the way. This is, this is the secret. This is the plan of God that all things in the universe would take their cue. Notice, things in heaven, verse 10, and things on earth. Now, we understand that right now, in the universe, everything does not acknowledge, and everyone does not acknowledge the authority of Jesus Christ in their life. But what God is saying here through Paul is that God is moving history forward to a consummation where everything will acknowledge the authority of Jesus Christ. And it will either be willingly, like you and I have done, by acknowledging Jesus Christ as who He really is, the Son of God, and in a sense bowing our knee before Him now, and asking Him to be our Savior and our Lord and following Him. Or we will do it one day, not because we really want to, but as Paul says in Philippians, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some will do it willingly, others won't. But one day, all you, the universe, will acknowledge that God wanted everything headed up in Christ. Therefore, when God looks down on His church and says that to the church, you realize that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. In fact, He's the head of all things in the universe, things in heaven and things in earth, that one of the things that He wants to see in His church are people who are submitting and surrendering their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and acknowledging His authority in my life and saying, Lord Jesus, whatever You want, wherever You want me to go, I'll go. Whatever You want me to do, I'll do. That's what God wants to bring us all to because He's wanting to head all things up in Christ. Notice too in verse 11, in Christ too, We have been claimed as God's own possession. He's made us His own heritage. He's made us through Christ His own people. And all this, part of God's plan. We're going to talk more about God's own possession in just a moment when we get to the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to say a few more words about that. And notice verse 11. 
since we were predestined according to the one purpose of Him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of His will. Notice again, as I said last week, that when you see the word predestination, which freaks a lot of people out in the Bible, it always deals with the purposes of God, not with the people on earth. And he's saying that God predestined a purpose. And that purpose was that we would be people who could be transformed by the power of God and able to live eternally in fellowship with God. Because that's why God created Adam and Eve in the first place. He wanted to have a relationship with His creation, with human beings that He created. And so, ever since then, the reason why Christ came was so that relationship and that fellowship could be restored. And so that we could enjoy our relationship and fellowship with God and God would enjoy His relationship and fellowship with us throughout eternity. And I love this. It's one thing to plan to do something. Notice in verse 11, but God can always accomplish what He plans and what He purposes. Because He's God. And God's got all power. And so one of the cool things is when we should be encouraged as we read that God is moving history forward and there's going to be this consummation one day where everything is going to be headed up in Christ. And we may wonder some days looking around at the world and the shape of the world and everything like, yeah, right, that is never going to happen. No, God says, I not only purpose these things, but because I'm God, I can accomplish them. Because man's not going to stand in my way. I've got a plan for Christ. I've got a plan for this earth. I've got a plan for this universe. I've got a plan for things in heaven and things in earth. I've got a plan for every human being. And everything one day is going to be headed up in Christ. And set forth in Christ. The end of verse 9. And towards the end of verse 10. And I love this. Verse 12. So that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ would be to the praise of His glory. First of all, I want to start at the end of that verse. Why does God bless us like He does? Why does He redeem us and forgive us and remove our guilt and all these wonderful things? So that we could live lives to the praise of His glory and bring glory and honor to Him in the world in which we live. And live a life, a life as blessed people who've been blessed by God. And God wants us to be a people of hope. In verse 12, I believe that Paul is referencing himself as those of us who were the first to set our hope on Christ. The, the first generation of believers. But we're not the last to set our hope on Christ. And again, when God looks down from heaven on His church, He wants to see a group of people who are living with hope. Because there's enough hopelessness out there in the world today. There's enough people who you look in their eyes and there's no hope in their eyes. But because the church is filled with the fullness of God, you and I can have hope. And we can have hope in three ways. We can have hope in our past, that our sins have been forgiven, period. We can have hope in the present, that no matter what we face, God through Christ, who is the fullness of God, can supply everything I need in the present, including the power that I need to overcome sin, because I've been redeemed and I've been set free, and God wants me to live in freedom. 
And then I have hope in the future because I know Jesus Christ is coming again. My hope should never end. Because I can anchor my hope in what God's done for me in the past, what He's doing for me now, and what He will do for me one day. Why Jesus said to His followers in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. That's hope. Because we're not basing that hope on us or anything on this earth. We're basing it on the sure word of Jesus Christ and Jesus cannot lie. So we should live lives of hope, of confident expectation, as we talked about. And notice, I love the, the, the words here. Our hope should be set. It should not be sifting. It, it should not be moving. Our hope should be anchored in Christ and in what we have in Christ, as Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 1. Set, stable, secure. These are the things that Paul wants the Ephesian Christians and you and I to, to realize and acknowledge and accept and gain insight into. All the blessings that God has for us. And then verse 13 and 14. And then Paul says, oh, and by the way, the Holy Spirit's involved too. And when you heard the word of truth, notice that the first thing they did was hear the word of truth. When God looks down upon His church, it should be a place where people are hearing the truth. Not necessarily hearing what we want to hear all the time, but what we need to hear. And where the truth of God is unashamedly stood for and proclaimed. Because again, back to John 8, Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if the church isn't a place where I can hear truth, then where can I go to find the truth? Because I don't think I can go out there in the world and find it in too many places. So the church should be this place where I can come and, and finally hear. The, and can I just say, one of the reasons why I think people are going to continue to, to flock to churches that stand on the Word of God, and I think it's even going to increase, especially if in America times do get tough, because in tough times where maybe people didn't think a relationship with God was so important, when their life begins to get squeezed a little bit, they're a little bit more open to what this relationship with God is all about. And they're more willing to come and hear truth because they need truth. We all do. We all desire it. it it's the way God made us. God made us to want to know truth. That's why when we're lied to and when we're deceived, it is such a, a stab in our heart. Because He, he made us that way. Not to reject the truth, but to hear the truth. The gospel of your salvation. When you believed in Christ. So again, it's not just enough to hear the truth. Because if that would be the case, then every person who ever heard the message of the gospel would be going to heaven. But we have a responsibility that when we hear the message of truth, that we believe in Christ and that we put our personal faith and trust completely in Christ. Again, not Christ plus something else, but Christ alone. 
And again, you'll notice here that Paul isn't emphasizing the amount of our faith. He's emphasizing the object of our faith. That's why Jesus could say, you and I could have faith the size of a mustard seed, and we could do great, phenomenal things. It's not the size of our faith, and we shouldn't focus on our faith. We should focus on Christ, on the object of our faith. And if the object of our faith is right, and we're putting our trust in Him, amazing things can happen, including coming into a relationship with God. And when you and I hear the truth and believe in Christ, notice what happens. We are marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession. Oh yeah, to the praise of His glory. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You've been marked, if you will. And can I just say, not to bring you know, a teaching on Revelation in, but when you get to Revelation and you hear about the mark of the beast, you realize that everything God does, Satan counterfeits. And the sealing or marking of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life is counterfeited one day by the mark of the beast from the Antichrist. In Paul's culture, a king, a leader, a politician would seal things that usually they would wear a ring. And on that ring would be a symbol And when they wanted to sign a document or verify something or seal it, they would dip that ring in wax and they would do that. And that was the king's seal. And that seal was a mark of genuineness, authentication, that yet that's the king's seal. And it was also a mark of ownership. And those same concepts sort of parallel the sealing of the Holy Spirit. That when God seals us with His Holy Spirit, He's marking us out. He's saying, He's mine. She's mine. They are mine. I'm going to take care of them. I'm their shepherd. They're authenticated by this mark or seal. That way we know they're genuine. Because we all know people can claim to know God, but it's going to be the seal of the Holy Spirit that truly authenticates the reality of it. And that brings about ownership. And that should be a really encouraging and comforting thing because if you're here tonight and you have the Holy Spirit living within you, man, you're sealed. And notice, you are sealed to the day of redemption. And this seal, notice, is also the promised Holy Spirit. And the reason that's significant is because Jesus in the Gospels said, Guys, I know I've got to go back to heaven. I've got to ascend back to heaven 40 days after I resurrect from the dead. But I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And so when the Holy Spirit came, again, it was just a verification. Jesus tells the truth. He promised the Holy Spirit would come. Here He came. Just like Jesus said. And I love this, verse 14. He is the down payment or guarantee or earnest of our inheritance until the day of redemption of God's own possession. You see, the indwelling Holy Spirit, whom all believers now possess, is an assurance and foretaste of what believers will ultimately experience 
to the full when we get to heaven. We have salvation, present tense, right here and now. We have the Holy Spirit. We are in Christ. But we have not experienced all that God has for us yet. And our hope is that one day we will grab a hold and experience all that God has for us. And the reason I can live my life in hope that one day I will experience that is because I have the Holy Spirit living within me. And every day that I walk with the Holy Spirit through this life, He's reminding me, Jeff, there's a better day ahead. There's a day coming with no more sinus infections. There's coming a day. No more separation. No more death. No more crying. No more tears. All the things of this earth are going to pass away one day. And the Holy Spirit who lives within us every day is a witness to that. It's as if God said, here's your down payment on what's coming. It's coming. And so that you know that I'm for real, God Himself is going to live within you. And by the work of the Holy Spirit, verse 14, praise should come to God throughout all eternity because of His matchless saving grace. I hope tonight that we all leave here just going based upon Ephesians 1. Wow, God. I'm blessed. I'm blessed to have God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit involved in my life every day. It's not like Jesus Christ did something for me back here and then just has left me go. No. I can experience all that He has for me every day. And I can experience the fullness of God. So that I can live my life truly embracing and believing that God has blessed me with every spiritual blessing. He hasn't shortchanged me. He hasn't cheated me. He hasn't snookered me. Every spiritual blessing is mine and cannot be taken away because it's in the heavenly realms. Let's pray. God, thank you for your blessings in our life. God, help us to help us to live as a blessed people. And not just, Lord, as an end to itself, but so that we can, in turn, live lives where we're blessing you and speaking well of you each and every day. Of how great and good a God you are. And all that we have in Christ. And where our lives can also be a blessing to others. God, do a work in this church. Continue to raise up a group of people that are just hungry to go after you and figure out what it is to be a follower of yours and to experience all that you have for them. And I thank you, Lord, for the turnout again tonight. Hundreds and hundreds of people in here every Tuesday night to study your word. Amen to that, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we got a couple of minutes. I'm just going to take a couple of questions. 401 tonight. We broke the 400 barrier. Thank you.
Can I just tell you that those who knew what shape I was in the last couple of days and who've been praying for me, this was an answer to prayer. Because I've been on my back since Sunday afternoon and haven't moved. And for me to be here tonight, is it's God. So give God the glory for that. Yeah. All right, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave you with one, two things. I want to just remind you, in case you're interested in some of the other studies that I'm doing, we're studying the book of Ruth in A104 on Sunday morning. We had 80 people in that room Sunday. Uh, we're studying the book of Jonah in A104 at 1130 on Sundays. I think we had like 50 or 55 in there Sunday. We can always have more. If you'd like to be a part of those Bible studies, we'd love to have you. Like if you come to the 10 o'clock service and you want to come early or you want to stay late or whatever, we'd love to have you. Gals, if you want to sign up online for the first Peter study on Wednesday, January the 23rd, it starts up here in just a little bit of time. I don't even know whether they have any, anything left, but you can find that out. And I'm just going to leave you with this, and you're going to find out more about this on Sunday. You're going to want to make sure you're here next Sunday or next Sunday. You're going to want to make sure you're here next Tuesday, and you're going to want to make sure that you bring somebody with you next Tuesday. And that's all I'm going to say, and you'll find out about it on Sunday. So now you've got to come Sunday, too. All right? Guys, I love you. Have a great week. We'll see you back here next Tuesday. <laughs>